Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 659 with a review of The Father. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. Um, this week, we are talking about another premium VOD rental. Um, this is a $20 rental on, I think it's on most services. I watched it on iTunes. I assume you did yep. as well, Stephen. Um, but Same. I think it's also available on Amazon and Vudu and all it the is. things. I, I found I have weird brand loyalty to iTunes. I just assume that it will be better if it's available there, if I buy it there <laughs> rather than through Amazon. I don't know why. I have no idea why. I think there was one thing we watched on Amazon years ago that was very, like, blot, like blotchy in dark oh, areas. I think it was the, uh, the, the, the Blumhouse quadrilogy um, that we watched, right? Was that right, it? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Or maybe, yeah, yeah, I think that was it. And for some reason, I've just been burned. And now, like, when I see it's on, like, Amazon, I, like, manually go in and search to see if I can find it on iTunes instead. Never let me down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean for me, it's a matter of, like, I'm watching it on a projector through my Apple TV. Why would I not rent it on the format that is native to the Apple TV that I'm projecting it on? Right. Um, but also, the Amazon app is just terrible, and I hate streaming anything mm. on it. But anyways... <laughs> We're here. We sound like we're old men. We're like, ah, get off my lawn. Um, but we're here to talk about a little film called The Father, which, I mean, we watched the trailer this weekend before watching it. It was like, huh, this this looks like a film that like was definitely A, something that should play at a festival, and B, seemed like something that Steven and I should have caught at a festival if it did play at a festival. And uh, yeah, just before seeing that record, turns out that it may have. Steven, do you want to fill us in on uh, that info? Yeah, so apparently, so confession, I do remember being aware of this movie even when we were at TIFF. Um, so th this movie <laughs> premiered at Sundance. I couldn't, I had to backtrack, like reverse engineer why I didn't get us tickets to it at TIFF. Yeah. Um, it, it had premiered at Sundance. And then by the time TIFF rolled around, I think they had bucketed. There was a difference between like movies that are premiering here that were being highlighted and then movies that they were showcasing. And I did break that rule because Nomadland had premiered at Venice. So like it was also one that it was not technically premiering at TIFF, but yeah. that felt new enough that I was like, okay, this will be a part of the conversation. Whereas The Father, I think I like I Googled just enough to see that there were a bunch of reviews and then i was like okay a bunch of people talked about this in january already and for whatever reason at the time it felt like tiff should be prioritizing you know movies that no one has seen before um and yeah i kind of regret it because i think given some of the things i did watch i remember i saw there were multiple movies about a person's relationship with their aging parent um <laughs> who may or may not be struggling with dementia and i went the vigo mortensen route <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh man yeah oh and we'll find out in this review which chris likes more um but yeah i mean of course I, this is the kind of thing that i it's interesting there was some buzz about it but not a lot right it wasn't like there was a groundswell of like you have to catch the father at tiff the narrative was always the Father is a sad movie. Anthony Hopkins is amazing in it. And it felt like 
the kind of thing that was inevitably going to come out in like November anyway, which apparently I was wrong. I forgot this year is so <laughs> fucking crazy. They could just wait until March instead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's me defending myself, but I can totally imagine in a real physical festival, definitely going in and watching this together with like cups of coffee early in the morning, getting our yeah. cry on would have been a good time. <laughs> yeah. And also I forget how Tiff worked. Was there schedule like, was there scheduling things that also locked out a certain set of films that weren't available at times when we were trying to watch the films? That is a good question. I think there wasn't, but I don't remember how much effort I put in because we basically had one movie a night and occasionally two. And I don't know if that was just fortuitous or if that was like an intentional scheduling thing on my part. Yeah. But I think there was no lockout. I think you literally just like clicked and purchased individual things that you wanted to watch. Yeah. As long as you were in Canada, which we both technically we're. were. <laughs> <laughs> For legal reasons. <laughs> yep. But anyways, The Father um, is a little film mm -hmm. that we are about to be talking about. Are you ready to get into this, Stephen? Oh, I'm ready. Do you want to take your little blue pill first? <laughs> mm. <laughs> that does something different than you think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, while Steven's trying to get his medications in order, we are going to go ahead and listen to the trailer for The Father, and then we're going to come back and give you a review. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. <laughs> Paris. They don't even speak English there. <laughs> Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How oh. do you do, sir? I say you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I must say he's charming. Yeah. Not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? You see, the situation is very simple. My daughter is of the opinion that I cannot manage on my own. I'm so sorry about this. Why? She understands perfectly. It's important. I explained it all to you. Why do you keep looking as if there's something wrong? Everything is fine. I think she tries to do the best she can for you, Anthony. Everything will be all right. I promise you. There's something funny going on. All 
right, so that was the trailer for The Father. Um, it is basically about a, a man um, who is a father, and it's kind of about the relationship between him and his daughter, and he is an aging man, and his daughter is trying to get him assistance because he's getting to the age where he might need help taking care of himself, and this man doesn't want that because he thinks he can take care of himself, and it's sort of the story about him trying to decide for himself whether or not he is capable of caring for himself. Um, Stephen Miller, what did you think of The Father? Uh, so I want to preface by saying I did not watch a trailer for this movie at all. Like all I was aware of was this is a drama involving an elderly father played by Anthony Hopkins and it is acclaimed. And I was like, that's it. I'm sold. Joanna knew uh, the woman from The Crown is in it and was like, OK, I'm sold. <laughs> and then we just <laughs> went in together with our Anthony and Olivia kick and had at it. Um and I think that is a great way to watch this movie. Um, I am, I guess, going to spoil things that would have been spoilers for me, but not for anyone who watched the trailer, and say that this movie is not only about someone going through dementia. This is a movie that shows you the point of view of someone going through dementia in that it makes it very clear that certain situations are confusing or off-putting or don't quite make sense. Conversations don't end the way you expect them to. Chronologies get confused. And I think the the rules that it sets for itself are incredibly interesting, where this is... We can maybe have a spoiler talk if we want to, to talk about what we think the, the uh, linear narrative of this movie is or isn't. Um, but regardless... This is a movie that could have taken its conceit and become wildly impressionistic or anything goes, and it is not at all. This is a movie that sets the rule that everything is completely realistic and believable, and yet you, the viewer, will be put out of orbit. Like, something will be wrong, and it will be hard to follow. And I think that had an incredibly strong effect on me while while watching it. Like, especially it, it starts to build over the first maybe 15, 20 minutes, and then there are a few abrupt things that really just kind of jolt you out of your understanding of what is going on. Um, and I think if the goal of this movie is to make you understand what it might feel to be uh, feeling dementia, then I think this succeeded fantastically. I think it, it is an incredibly creative way to make you feel that. And it does it in a way that is, this is a difficult movie. Like it isn't pleasant. It isn't a movie that I want to watch a second time, but it is not a grating, heavily painful, oh my God, I can't believe they're still doing this to me type of movie either. Like it walks a line that I think is very, very, very well done and could have been fucked up like it either could have been pure melodrama. It could have been still Alice um, that, you know, that movie from years ago that it's just like showcase for an actor gunning for an Academy Award. Or yeah. it could have been Mother or something, right? It could have been like, I don't know what the fuck is going on and I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> but instead, you know, it, it, I, I, I just, I was very impressed with what the movie did. And of course, a lot has to do with the cast. I think Anthony Hopkins is phenomenal in this role. It It's really interesting because they, it is playing off of the characters he has always played. Like a thing that is always true about Anthony Hopkins is he is, he's both like very polite and reserved, but there's like the hidden under the surface, the threat of something that's going to erupt, right? Like his, his being like loud and soft, right? His Hannibal Lecter, yeah. his, uh, 
and it, like like that is a big thing about him is he can go really big or really quiet and you don't really know which is which because of his control and having him play a man who clearly was that way before but who now he wants to have control but he can't control his own sense of control it, yeah. it, it is really interesting watching him like teeter between these different roles of charismatic and overly clever and biting and cruel and it it just is a really meaty performance, and I think he nails it. I think Olivia Coleman is also great. It's an incredibly empathetic look at, you know, you're the daughter of someone who's going through this, and you want to help them desperately, and you also need to live your own life. And it it does what Vigo wanted to do in a way that I think is way, way, way more honest and empathetic. And, yeah, I I think it was extremely well done. I I don't want to watch it again like i i found it rather devastating in places that we can talk about um but i i I was just very impressed i think it was a very complete vision and like fantastic showcase for like an amazing actor so i was really glad that i caught it yeah I, i think that this film all of its success sort of belongs to the conceit of what the film is doing and then all anthony hopkins i mean he as you said he is he is amazing. He is terrifying. He is tragic. He is all like any one characteristic you'd want to apply to an amazing performance in a film. He is all of these simultaneously in this film. Um, and I, I think that that was amazing to watch for me. I think that, you know, I did see the trailer, so I understood the hook of what the film was going to start trying to do. And when it started doing it, I was like, you're doing it. This is. <laughs> Like, this is great. I feel exactly, exactly the way you want me to feel. And I think that it does that extremely well. Um, I think for me, it might have stepped a little too far into what Mm -hmm. it was trying to do. And it's, it's so, it's, it's a weird thing to say because I really, really love what this film is doing and the presentation. And I found it deeply affecting. And I, I, I was, I was very happy to have watched it. And I really wish it was something that we would have seen at a festival, just so there would have been like, especially if it, if it was, you know, it wasn't. But imagine being back in an in-person festival and right. getting to see this with a crowd of people experiencing it for the first time. There was no trailer. We're all like, oh, holy shit. It would shit. be ideal, right? It's yeah. just the shocked audience trying to figure out what they're watching at the same time. That would, that would be fantastic. Yeah, like that, that, that would be amazing. And I, and I really love, um, I, I, like, I, I think this is a very good film. I think that it might... I don't want to say its reach exceeds its grasp or whatever, um, but I, but I think I think for me, and maybe this is better talked about in in um, spoil, a spoiler segment. But I think that like y- you you kind of mentioned both confusion and chronology, and I think that this film uses both, and I think that the general confusion is spot on, perfect, amazing, love it. The chronology that it plays with, I don't buy it um i mean like we get context for it but i think that like when you are watching something in real time and then you're presented with information that messes with the chronology i think that you're doing something different than the confusion Mm -hmm. that you're going for with this character and i think for me it felt like it was trying to be like too clever by half and and i i kind of it didn't take it away 
it like it didn't it didn't didn't lessen the film for me because of how great Anthony Hopkins is, is in it, but it did did make me wonder like what exactly are you trying to do and what are you basing this metaphor of right things on and it it made me take like it made it didn't make me take away from my love of the film it made me question the motives behind that decision so it was like i'm having this this deeply engrossing drawn in experience watching this character go through what he's going through and then i'm also thinking about the filmmakers <laughs> and wondering mm -hmm. like why did you make these decisions? And I, and I think it's, it's hard for me to, to go away from the film and not be like, yeah, this was great. You should see it. But also tell me if you think this was weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, my prediction and honestly, I'm, I'm kind of in your boat. Like I, I'm praising it because I think the things that it does well are really, really, really good, but it is, I don't know if I would say it's like too clever by half, but it's like too purely conceptual to be a thing that would have made my top 10, if that makes sense. It's the kind yeah. of movie that I would be like, oh yeah, definitely watch that. But for some reason, while it succeeds at exactly what it wants to do, it does not. I, I think what it is, is it, I think what it wants to do is confuse you. And as you said, there's a difference between confusion and messing with chronology. And what I don't know is if you if there would be a way to instill that confusion in you without the chronology messing. And like, if that is just like a necessary sacrifice that the movie had to make in order to really unmoor its audience and make them be like, where, what, but I thought we just, what are we doing? Yeah, um, I, I think, I think it makes it really hard to attribute a literal narrative to it, though. I will try to do it in spoilers. Um, <laughs> but that, that I think that is a trade-off that the uh, director and screenwriter is making between what makes sense and what will make the audience feel a certain way. And it, I think it kind of hurts the movie, but I also don't know that it could have been done without that. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I'll I'll have to wait for your your spoiler take because maybe I, I I think it's one of those things where the problem is you get the questions so early on, and the final scene adds some context to the questions you have but by then you've had the questions for so long it's kind of like not a good enough answer right it would be like right. if a show let's pretend like say you hated the ending of lost and then 10 years later they made a do-over finale episode even if it fixes all of your problems with the way lost ended you're like yo this is like 10 years later like right <laughs> like like how how does this fix anything um yeah I, in a yeah, way, that, I kind of felt like For me, that. at a certain point, I had to just like submit myself to the movie and be like, okay, what it wants me to do is feel deeply confused and I'm just going to feel that, right? Yeah, I think, I think for me, what it felt like is... Trying to see how ambiguous I can stay with it. It felt like somebody made a short film that was the father and then somebody was like, holy shit, this is amazing. If you can get like a big star to play the father and make this an hour and 40 minutes, <laughs> uh, I'll green light this picture for you. And they kept everything the same <laughs> and just yeah. extended. So what, what's interesting <laughs> is your theory is both right and wrong in that <laughs> this was a play first. It was a play that the director, Florian Zeller, made okay. like, like eight or nine years ago. I have no idea. I would bet the play is 
more straightforward and in adapting it to a movie to get the same emotion you get out of live theater, he added more twistiness. That would be my guess based on having never even clicked the Wikipedia link for the play. So don't yeah, yeah. be like, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting. It, it, it is very interesting. So what I found compelling about it is that as a showcase, like the fact that the story is intentionally slippery, like you can't really hold on to it. I feel like that makes a playground where primarily Anthony Hopkins, but also Olivia Coleman really get to shine because they get to make you feel things in a universe where you don't really know what is going on. Um, and I think that is like very, very, very impressive. Uh, we yeah. were talking off mic, like before we started recording, uh, we were referencing a scene where Anthony Hopkins, um, he has a new uh, nanny. Is that what you call it? <laughs> Nurse? Um, yeah. In-home care person. <laughs> yeah. He has a new caregiver who is coming to meet him and kind of both of them mutually decide if she would be a right fit for him. And she's quite young, um, Imogen Poots. So I, I don't know how old she is, but it seems like, you know, 20s or something like that. Um, and he has been clearly grumpy. You know, he has not been pleasant. He has certainly not been nice to his daughter at all. And the moment he walks in the living room, he clearly doesn't know she's coming. He doesn't remember you know, but he feigns remembering as he always does because he's a, a man with pride and he prides himself in always being polite and smart and knowing what is going on. And he, he like catches this groove immediately of like, I'm going to be charismatic and let's be real, like a little pervy. I mean, I'm going to be the guy that is trying to charm this young, beautiful woman that is in my presence. And the See, way he like, Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I I didn't see it as pervy because I was waiting for the turn. Like, it, to me, it mm. felt like not pervy, but dangerous, <laughs> which, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's definitely in the Venn right. diagram of things, pervy and dangerous are overlapping. But to me, it felt like there was going to be like, it was a dog that kind of like, you can't tell if it's like excited or angry. It felt a little bit like mm -hmm. that to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there, there. I mean, it, it's all there. It is. Uh, he, he turns on the charm, in a way that is manic enough that you are unsettled, but you also you can feel the version of him that he is slipping into that used to exist. You know, and he is like funny and over the top. And it is also always a little bit scary, not because you think there's risk. Like, I, I don't think the movie wants you to feel that, like, a person with dementia might suddenly turn violent. But there's, like, a risk of him changing on a whim, right? There's a risk that, like, this is going to go somewhere darker than I feel like it is going to go right now. And the fact that the fact that we have seen him up till now behaving so differently makes us feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I just think that whole scene, him doing it the way Olivia Coleman and Imogen Poots both react to him by being both kind of like kind and being happy that he is happy, but also clearly being aware that this is not quite right. And as that tips, it, it basically runs the gamut from like grumpy to charming to cruel 
to downright just angry. And yeah. I, I just thought it was fantastic. Like, like I, I know a lot of people will probably talk about his last scene in the movie as being the big Oscar moment, but I feel like that is like the big Oscar moment to me is yeah. that scene where he goes through all of those emotions at the same time. I mean, he has like at least three of these moments, right? Mm -hmm. There's that moment, there's the ending moment, and there's also like, there's a moment where he is trying to confront, I think, Olivia Coleman's uh, husband, right. um, which is also an equally, like he is trying to exercise the upper hand um in a way where it's like you're getting his like his westworld character <laughs> coming out yeah, like yeah. where you're like all right all right uh -huh, i like this i like what's going on here yeah and and again like like in all of them it's it's him like it's the power dynamic shifting right it's like he has that upper hand and then very much like his last scene in the movie there is like a there's a turn and the turn is so sudden and heartbreaking and it yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there are multiple Oscar-y scenes in this movie, but I, it is fucking extremely well earned. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the real question is, at the Oscars, which clip are they going to play? Because <laughs> mm. I feel like sometimes there's like straight up spoilers in the Oscar reel for like, and then this person's nominated, and you're like, whoa, why are you showing that scene? That's like a big deal. Yeah. See, I feel like they're gonna just go boring and just have a scene of him being like. Have you seen my watch? Like, like yeah. I feel like they're just going to do something that is not one of the big moments at all. Oh, that's a nice watch. It's pretty. Very pretty. Where'd you buy it? Do you have the receipt? <laughs> so at the risk of turning this a little bit more depressing, uh, I was wondering if you have had anyone in your life who was like going through dementia. Like if, you, if you've watched that happen to a relative before. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've seen it more from the outside. Like, you know, happen very quickly. And... I haven't experienced it the way this film portrays it. Um, so it's not, I haven't had like that sort of direct experience with, with, with it, like in that way. Um, but it's definitely a, a very, it's a sad thing to watch happen. Um, but it's also a thing that I still don't really know how to react to or respond to, you know, it's like a thing that right. like, it's still, it's still hard to under like to know what to do. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Because I've, I've, seen it uh a couple times in my own life and i i like i've never seen one person who was like anthony hopkins because he kind of is running the the gamut of yeah. emotions but i've seen the extremes right like i on on one side i've had a relative who extremely kind loving person extremely good memory would always ask you how you're doing all of that and i've seen how that changes into She's still very kind. She's happy to see you. She always pretends she knew that you were coming over. She greets you. She asks how you're doing. And she doesn't realize that she's done that five times this afternoon already. Yeah. Um, and the way that like you, they slip into certain phrases or questions that they repeat over and over again. Like I, I think Anthony Hopkins nails that here. Like the little chuckle he gives when he's like, they don't even speak English in Paris, you know, haha. And like that. Th that just like really stuck with me because that is definitely how I've seen that happen before where it's like the personality is there and it's like a it it it's what do you do when you are you don't fully know what is going on but you want to be a good sport and yeah. you don't want to be a downer right and so you let your personality go on autopilot and you try to like compensate for everything else by just being extra 
inquisitive and turning the tables and asking about the other person. And then when they say something that means nothing to you, you go, oh, yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, yeah, you yeah. move on. Um, and then the other extreme I've had uh, was a guy that he went like kind of very quiet, uh, especially after a few years, like wouldn't say much at all, would kind of just grumpily sit there passively listening to everything but he had certain opinions that he was very strong about so i'm remembering <laughs> being at like thanksgiving table he said nothing for a half hour we're all talking it's like 2013 or something and someone mentions obama and he's the first time he spoke all night was like <laughs> he looked up and he said he is a liar <laughs> and then he was like, um, which is to say, I like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There, there was something interesting to me where Anthony Hopkins like has both. He has like the the stubbornness and the yeah. kind of like I am I am rooting myself more in these things that I've deeply held, and I'm gonna just be like isolated and express opinions occasionally, but otherwise keep to myself. And also the I'm gonna reach out and ask about this person and what are they doing and try to make a connection and then have it just be strained a little bit. And I, I don't know. I, I thought there was something interesting about the way he juggled both of those at the same time. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's always a tough thing to, you know, as I said, know how to respond to. Like, I, I still remember the first time, like hugging somebody who doesn't know why you're hugging them or who you are. Um, like the yeah. first time that happens, it's, it's definitely a, a shocking feeling. Um, but yeah, for the yeah. most part, you just, you just roll with it and try to, try to go with you know what's going on but like, yeah luckily i've never i haven't like 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 this this is portraying it in a way where it's like this is somebody who sometimes sometimes is like fully lucid and completely in control of his faculties but it's mm -hmm. like slowly things start to happen that that challenge that right for us the viewer and also for him um it's 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 a little bit different than than say um dick johnson is dead right or like right. like that was a very different feeling because he was like just this super awesome happy dude who was a hundred percent in control of everything and just game for whatever but you still had that fear of like oh man like something something is this is going to start to deteriorate deteriorate really quickly um and it's it's like seeing that transition um is always a scary thing to see here we're joining anthony hopkins like he's already there and we're just trying to understand to the extent of how he's how he's there and see yeah. him try to work through his scenes and it, it, and as we said this film does an amazing job of just like putting you there like it doesn't make it a horror film like relic <laughs> right? right um but it but it does let you feel it in a way where you feel it by watching how he tries to work it out um which is which is a good change from it's not just like make this feel scary it's you also try to keep up <laughs> right and and an interesting thing is that we'll talk in spoilers there's no reason to think that the movie is about a progression a deterioration right like as you said when we join him he is already struggling yeah. and yet the way the movie flows you still kind of get a progression into it being more and more difficult and it like, like it's an interesting thing that the movie does where we get the hints early on like his watch right and certain conversation points that don't quite make sense but then it 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to explain what the movie is doing, but I feel like it, it it is telling the story of how he got there, and it is also telling you what it feels to be at that end point at the same time in a way that is uh, very interesting and kind of hard to juggle. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think probably it makes sense to have most of the rest of the conversation in spoilers directly. Um, yeah. So for now, do you have any last points to make before we, we or last things to comment on before we jump into spoilers? Uh, uh, the, the only other thing I wanted to say, I guess, which we'll probably talk about more in spoilers, is you mentioned the feeling of hugging someone who doesn't know why they're hugging you. This movie does a fantastic visual representation of that. Um, I, I won't spoil how it does it, but I, that was one of the first like really gut punch moments in the movie for me. Yeah. And I thought it was just I- extremely well handled. Yep. I agree. Well, um, for now, uh, before we get into spoilers, let's go ahead and give our verdicts for everybody who's listening. Um, so Stephen Miller, if you were going to give us a must see reckon with the caveat, wait for until pass with a caveat or a must avoid, what would you give it? I think I'm going to round it up to must-see, um, even though by technicality it would probably be a recommend with a caveat, because the caveat is I, I don't think this is a particularly pleasant movie to watch. I think this movie is definitely difficult, but I just think the performances are amazing, right? Like, this is definitely an Oscar movie as far as the performances go, but it is the narrative that I had heard going in was that like, this is one of those movies that you see because it is a great vehicle for its lead and you otherwise kind of forget about the movie. And I feel like the movie itself is also pretty brilliant in how it is constructed and how well it accomplishes the goal of making you feel very confused and like you're losing your grip on what is going on. Um, And for that, like having that filmic accomplishment and having such a fantastic performance, multiple, again, I think Olivia Coleman is really, really, really good also as the empathetic, but also frustrated person who has, as we'll talk in spoilers, it's not even totally clear what she has to play, but she juggles it all very well anyway. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I just think having these performances and also being such a cleverly constructed film just tips it into a musty category for me. Yeah, it's such a it's this is a weird film. <laughs> like I, I I think I'm going to have to give it a reckon with a caveat. Um I like it's it's a must it it's musty quality, but also it just it tries a little too hard at some things, which like maybe by the end of the spoiler segment you will have made me come around on. Um mm. but it's it just something about it made me think that it didn't need to try to be exactly what it was because it was already exactly what it needed to be before it got there. Um, So I think for me, I'm going to knock it down just a tiny bit. Um, I still really found this to be a fascinating film with a really interesting portrayal of, of what Anthony Hopkins character is going through. Um, Also, I don't know if it's like purposeful or weird that like the character's name is Anthony. (laughs) Like, I think it's intentional, yeah. Okay. Um, I think also he says he was born in 1937, which is when Anthony Hopkins was born. So I feel like they're doing something there, too, to make yeah. you be like, this guy is dealing with aging and mortality, and he is literally the age and person that he is describing. Yeah. Also, like, Anthony, I, like in my head, Anthony Hopkins has been this old for like 30 years. <laughs> Like, right. right. Like as far like, so like, I mean, maybe not 30 years, but I feel like one of the early 
uh, reviews we did of the podcast uh, um, was the horror film The Right, um, where he was like playing this priest um, who did exorcisms, but was like potentially possessed himself. And like mm-hmm. in my head, when I think back to that movie, he looks identical to the way he does in this film. Like it's just, it's just like that, like 14 years ago, yeah. whenever we did that, that, that I, review. In my head now, Hannibal Lecter looks like this film. Like, like, <laughs> I don't know. He just, he's carried himself as like an old man for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all that is to say, like, it really goes to show how much old age makeup they put on him in two posts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I can't imagine his character in, in the two popes doing the tap dancing <laughs> that he right. does. I'll be it briefly in this film. Like, I, I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, and we, we don't know how many, like, invisible wires or whatever they had. <laughs> we don't know what sort of the Irishman tech was being used. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It was actually some other Westworld actor doing the dancing. <laughs> yeah. All right. But anyways, that is going to do it for the non-spoiler part of our review of The Father. Um, so for now, for anybody who doesn't want spoilers, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at SpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning, Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning, or Instagram.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the sound track to the father so hopefully you're enjoying that that music is going to start to fade up now then it's going to fade out and uh, when it does we're going to be in spoiler territory so if you haven't seen the film um and you don't want to be spoiled then go ahead and go rent that for 20 dollars, and then come back and listen to the spoiler segment So we are back. This is spoiler territory. It's the after part of a review of The Father. We're talking full-blown spoilers for that film. Um, so if you don't want to be spoiled, uh, then go back and watch the film and come back. And here we are. So Stephen Miller, do you want to sort of start us off um, and kind of talk? You, you said that you have a theory about what exactly it's trying to do, or I guess at least what the chronology is trying to do. Yeah. So I mean, the... I'll get the obvious theory part out of the way first, because I I don't know that it's so much of a theory so much as the text of the movie. I think the text of the movie by the end is that everything we have seen is the somewhat confused memories of Anthony Hopkins as to what happened and how he got here. Right. Like the movie has always taken place inside the nursing home that he is at the end. I, I think we can agree that as like, Close enough to the text of the movie. Yeah, um, I mean, well, that, that explains the other narrative conceit of the film, which is the swapping out of cast members, which we can exactly. get to in a second. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So take that for granted. The, the other big questions are, A, what is the actual timeline of events that we are seeing kind of chopped and screwed in this movie? Like what, what happened in his life and who was involved in his life? Um, and the... 
the way I interpret it is Anthony Hopkins was living alone for many years. He had caregivers for a while. He routinely, one by one, kind of, you know, scared them, lost off. them because <laughs> he was, yeah, he was abrasive. He accused them of stealing his watch, the usual. I think one name like Angelica is the one that they keep discussing. Um, at a certain point, he is without a caregiver. And so he has to, quote, temporarily move in with his daughter, Laura. At the time, his daughter, Laura, is still married uh, to a man who I believe the text of the movie will tell us that he is an asshole and he was abusive, like at least somewhat elder abuse. That this, there's a scene where he is being slapped by uh, the guy played by Rufus Sewell. I take that as a real thing that actually happened. Yeah. And the strain of that, of this guy's abuse, which maybe his daughter did not know about, and then also the husband just being an asshole and being impatient and not liking how much this is encroaching on his life causes them to get divorced. And then for a number of years, she is taking care of him single-handedly. And ultimately, she decides she can't do it anymore. She meets a person. She's moving to Paris. She drops him off in a nursing home. The end. Like, like that, that is kind of how I interpret it. And these things that he is remembering are memories of the time when he w had just moved in with them and then the times when he was going through caregivers while living alone with her. Um, and it's just like a couple key memories from that that are being redone kind of over and over. And in that actual timeline, his dementia was not so bad at the beginning. It got worse by the end. But now because he's witnessing it from the end, then it is all kind of confusing and disorienting. So that so is... That is the text that I believe the movie is going for. So my only question about that text, for the most part, I believe that is the text. I also believe that is most of that is the text of the film. However, the shitty husband is also the French husband. So if they get divorced, why does she move to Paris? <laughs> is he the French husband? Isn't he? I don't think he is. I, he doesn't ever seem to know anything about France. Um, and he's an English dude. Uh, at least I don't think he's a French dude. Okay. Um, like his name is Rufus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what French people are named. <laughs> yeah. So I believe cause early on in, in the opening scene, uh, the conversation Anthony is having with Laura involves how, he asks about where her husband is or something. And she says like, Oh, we, you know, we've been divorced for years. Yeah. And I think this is that guy that she has been divorced with for years. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. And you think that, so Anthony Hopkins seems to think her ex-husband is named like, forget what it is, like Jason or something. Right. <sighs> yeah. I don't remember what name he uses. That, that's one thing is I couldn't, I didn't do my diligence to like search online and find anyone who cataloged all the names that get thrown around in this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, that's just my, that, that is my story is that maybe he's getting the name confused. So here is the confusing part with, so we've established what is probably the text of the film. The confusing thing, which I think is both 
brilliant in how it works on you, but also loses the ability to have a reality that you're latched onto is this is not, this film does not take a single point of view, right? Like this film has Anthony Hopkins getting progressively more confused. We see things that are definitely his point of view, like faces changing, right? Olivia, uh, Olivia Williams suddenly playing Olivia Coleman's character or that other guy suddenly being the husband who isn't really there or he's there and Olivia Coleman can see him and then five minutes later she can't see him anymore. Like there's all these things that are clearly Anthony being confused. Yeah. But in all of these moments, we also get the reaction of other people we get the uneasy reaction that Olivia Coleman has. We get the looks that she and Imogen Poots exchange with each other. We get these things that the Anthony himself would not necessarily be privy to or wouldn't be self-aware enough to recognize. And we get conversations when he is not in the room. Um, yeah. And those combine to make it hard to know how exactly to interpret this yeah. like i believe the text of the film is that this is a feverish memory that he is having but the film very purposely decides it doesn't want to limit itself to his memory it wants it to be a kind of hodgepodge of all the different ways they did or might have reacted to him as a burden or as someone that they care about or someone that they're getting fed up with and it is just kind of showing us a greatest hits collection of all the different ways that he might have weighed on them. And maybe that is his subconscious having picked up on more cues than he let on. And he's just kind of rotating through them now in this memory. Yeah. So, so I think for me, you know, whole French, French guy confusion aside, <laughs> um, I think for me, the reason why I don't like the chronology aspect of it and the reason why I made my analogy of this having been a short film that was extended, the thing I was trying to be ambiguous about is it feels like this was a short film and then they just replayed this, all of the scenes of the short film multiple times um, and then that's how they got the full runtime of the film because this film is really three scenes. There's him in... I mean, all of it is technically him in the old folks' home. But there's there's him realizing that he's in a home. Um, there is him before and after the dinner. Um, and then there is um, him meeting the caregiver, right? Mm -hmm. Like, those are the only scenes in this film. But we are watching those same scenes replay multiple times with slightly different contexts and slightly different levels of um, agitation or, um, you know, whatever about them. So it, it feels like, like I was, I was a hundred percent on board with, with the character switching um, or, or I should say the, the actor switching um, in the film. Like I was like, Oh, this is like really smart. Like I really, really like the way this is working. I feel the way Anthony Hopkins feels. I understand his confusion. And then I became actually confused. Like I think for me, there, there's this so we watch the scene where she brings home the chicken he has this moment where he's confused and everybody's like there's no chicken what are you talking about and then the very next scene is her buying the chicken downstairs and i was like oh is it going to go back and show us her side of this i'm like that's interesting and then I, and then it, it doesn't really it kind of just goes back and replays the scene 
once again from Anthony Hopkins' point of view. And I was like, I was like, what is it doing right now? I'm not really sure I understand the point of this. And I think where it really bugged me is the scene where he comes into dinner, they're talking about him, and they go, oh, just come sit down and have your chicken. And then he gets up from the table to get more chicken. And then when he comes down, they're having the exact conversation about right. him. And then they tell him to sit down. But he doesn't, like he left the food in the kitchen. Like he's, he's not sitting down to dinner like the first part of the memory. He's now just sitting down to a table having to deal with the fact that they were just talking about him. And he knows that. And it was like, I, something about that, like that repetition book ending that one moment felt like I was getting like, you're trying real hard to be, uh, I'm thinking of ending things or something, right? Like it felt like it, I was it, about to say it is very, I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. And, and um, it was like, I was like, Ooh, I like you had me in this grant. Like this film is incredibly realistic up until sort of about that time frame, And then it starts to becoming more metaphor for dementia, maybe. And I think that mm-hmm. part of the problem for me is I don't, I, I'm just, I'm not educated enough on dementia. Um, so I don't really know what it feels like to go through it. I can only assume my understanding of, of, of it. And for me, the film seems like it's good, doing a good job. Like, like part, part of the beginning of this film feels like the dementia equivalent of Sound of Metal, <laughs> right? Right. We're like, wow, this like, this is really... This, like, I can feel it, right? I, I think I get it. And then all that stuff started to happen. I was like, mm, I don't think you get it. <laughs> yeah, well, like, the thing I'm not sure of, because, again, like, I, I can only relate to things in my own life. And I would say those scenes get at something that I imagine is prevalent in dementia, too, which is, like, a, a heightened deja vu, a sense of, like, I fucking could have sworn this all happened before, Yeah. right? I feel like I've had this conversation. I feel like you were right there. I feel like we were doing this. And I think that I I will admit that dinner scene being bookended by the same dinner and him taking opposite decisions in both those cases, that did, that was one of the few times that I was like, okay, this movie is pushing me a little further than I want to go. Yeah. Um, But I do think it gets at a kind of, a sense of repetition or the day is blurring together. And I think textually it's fine in the sense that if this is all his memory and he's scrambling together memories and he's substituting faces and events and words onto different things, right? It makes total sense that there would be a repetition that takes place where the world is a little tilted, but everything seems to be happening again, but the outcome is different, right? Because it's his brain. It can be whatever it wants. But why is it that and to his character? What I don't know is whether the point of view of the movie, even when he isn't around, is the point of view that he has in his mind, in his dream or whatever he is having as he thinks through his past. Or if the movie doesn't even want to be that. Yeah. And the movie is just going to be a kind of a impressionistic, like, let's walk through the confusion of dementia and the way you feel like you're losing your grip by just playing a remix of scenes in his life a couple times to show the different ways those scenes could go, right? There's the way where he joins them and there's the way where he walks away because what is the point? This doesn't make any sense. I'm confused. I'm scared. I'm going to leave. Um, 
that can be a hypothetical, right? That can be when like a TV show or movie shows the right thing happening and then cuts back and the wrong thing happens instead. And it becomes about like, imagine if the character had done X instead of Y, what do you think they thought through in their head that led them to walk away? Um, or it could just be a metaphor. And yeah, I think the movie does kind of at a certain point require you to let go and not care about it anymore. Yeah. You know, like the, the more I think about these problems and little things that kind of bug me, the more I start to suspect that these are direct translations of the play. Like you mentioned that this is actually mm -hmm. from a play. And the, the perfect example of that for me is the, the picture that his other daughter, who we haven't even talked about, passed away at some point in time. Right. Um, Lucy. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's hard to know whether Lucy was actually a painter and painted that painting or if that's just a thing that he thinks is true now. Um, but yeah. he has this painting, which they constantly talk about. He constantly brings up, constantly points at. And there's one scene where he comes out and the painting's not there. But in the painting's place is like the not worn wall where the painting used to be. And it's this, it's this like, yep. might as well be like a chalk outline at a murder scene of this painting used to be here. I can see that visually being a perfect representation on stage, right? Like that's the great mm -hmm. way to like have that look there where you're like, oh, okay, we get it. We're the audience. This is a set piece. The set has changed in a movie. I don't think you need that outline to actually exist. And Really, what I really hated about it is when he goes to that spot, he is he can clearly see the outline, right? And it's like that that is now too much of a metaphor and not like a it, it's we get it. The painting that he's talked about in every scene that he's entered that room is now gone. I get it. But like allowing him to still see the outline on the wall, because then it then it feels like people are tricking him, which might be the way we want him to feel, but also like it felt like just like a little bridge too far, right? Like it just felt like a, that is a very stagey thing to do. And I don't yep. think in the context of a narrative film that you still require that visual. Cause like I'm imagining that like in the stage version of this, it's like a completely black stage. And when they're in the kitchen, it's like a, a spotlight on just the table. Right. And it's just a table in a right. void of blackness. And then when they're in the living room, it's a couch and a painting and a fireplace or something. Right. And that's all in a void of blackness. I, I have no idea what the play actually looks like, but that's kind of what I'm imagining, especially given the context of this feeling like memory and not like in the moment mm -hmm. experience. Um, yeah. so I think all of that sort of works. Like it's almost like the, uh, in in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind when he's when he, when he puts on the machine and he's going through the presence of him wearing the right. machine like that scene where they're going back like i'm imagining that but in a stage version is sort of what this film would what this the play version of this would be and i think that when we're doing yeah. this hard grounded reality version you can get rid of the stagey aspect of it but yeah yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we've now named out two Charlie Kaufman movies, because <laughs> um, definitely memory and loss is a part of it. But I think what does separate this from Eternal Sunshine and from I'm Thinking of Ending Things is that I'm, I'm imagining what you're saying, because I also, I agreed in the moment while I was watching it, I was like, that painting, there's an outline of a painting. What is the reality that this is reflecting right now, right? Um, but then I imagine the alternative of it just being a room that is oriented differently and there's just no painting. And 
that is more the I'm thinking of anything's version where it's just like a tilt happened in the universe and now you are forced to play along with it. And I think having there be this absence, like this lack of a painting that clearly should have been there, you know it was there, there's evidence of it there, and it's just gone now. Um, I think there's like a sadness to that or like a heavy grief to it that is different from what Charlie Kaufman would do. Yeah. And I don't know that that makes it right or wrong or like it still fucks with the reality of the movie, but I think... I think the lingering image of like a thing used to be here and now it isn't is like a powerful enough metaphor that the movie wants it to stick out like a th- like a like a sore thumb and kind of mess with you for the rest of the scene. Yeah. And I think that is a different decision than what a kind of neurotic Kaufman type director would yeah, do. Yeah. This is much more a a sorrowful, mournful thing than it is like an exploration of memory. Yeah, I, I think if he didn't trace the outline that I can see as the watcher, it might not have bugged me so much, right? Mm-hmm. But it's clearly there's a physical thing that he is touching, which isn't just yeah. like, a, I swear there was a painting here. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, should we get close to, to, to like the final, the final uh, sure. scene now? Yeah, no, let, let's do it. I mean, I, I do want to say like, this leads into the final scene that we can talk about more more generally, but I do want to hit like one thing that I really, really loved as this scene was starting to take place. That was like a moment that just emotionally hit me in a way that was like, I think is kind of showing this film at its best at its, at its, at its simplest and yet still firing on all cylinders is there's this running. It's sort of a joke. It's also sort of like a, just an example of, of his state of mind. But he has this obsession with this watch of his. And like half the film is him like, where's my watch? I need to find it. Like right. everything's wrong. If I can't find this watch, this guy has a watch. Did he take my watch? Like what's going on? And there's this moment at the end when like the facade of his memory is breaking down and he's realizing where he is and he's realizing that nothing his, his flat is gone. It's just him alone. And like when the nurse comes in to see, sees him and like checks to see if he's okay, he like, he says, yeah, I'm okay. I have my watch. And like, that was like, yeah, there's something about that. Like that callback to it. Like just, it felt like a little bit of a chef's kiss of like that. Right. It wasn't just it. There was something about the watch, whether it's chronology <laughs> or what that was comforting and important to him and like represented his like, his sort of it's like his Linus blanket <laughs> was this yeah. watch and it wasn't just him trying to use the watch as a way to take down the people who are trying to help him it was like he literally wanted that watch so that he could feel safe in whatever state he was and wherever he was and i really really loved that sort of aspect like obviously that entire ending scene is really really powerful but there's something about just that like him reverting to that childlike state and being like, no, it's okay. I have my watch. Um, that really, yeah. really worked on me. No, I, I completely agree. I thought that was a great little character moment. And it just gets to the, the, like all of him is he's, we see him be so many different extremes, right? He's abrasive. He puts his daughter down. He tries to be very smart and cocky. He tries to know what's going on. He's accusative. Like, he runs the gamut of emotions, but beneath all of it is like this desire to be able to hold something and understand what is happening. And that is all 
the movie does such a good job of shoving all of that in like this little watch, right? This predictable thing that is on your wrist that you can look at and you know one thing, right? You yeah. know what time it is. Um, <laughs> if it was wound. I think, <laughs> true, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I just think that that payoff is really, really, really good in, in that final scene. Yeah, yeah. And then of course there is the, the Oscar moment, which is he starts asking questions. You know, he opens up to this nurse, Olivia Williams, and he, he starts asking more and more. And at a certain point it turns into this like very childlike, like, like the, the, the moment where it all turns is this question as he's asking like, where's his daughter? What is she doing? And where is he? Blah, blah, blah. And then his final big question is like, and, and who am I? And the, the way he asks that as at first, as if it were like a natural, just conversational, like the logical next step. And then how that becomes like the thing that he completely crumbles around. I yeah. think that definitely got the, you know, it got a little misty in, in my living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I, I mean, I think it's like you're, you're watching... You're watching the, the whole film. You're watching a incredibly intelligent man try to barely hold on, and then in this moment, you're watching all of that go away, and none mm -hmm. of it's left. Um, and that's always very, very impactful. Yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> good movie. <laughs> what, what What's funny is I. I liked it. I didn't love it as much as I'm raving about it now. I feel like it is a, this is a better movie than I loved it. <laughs> um, like it, it, I think it accomplishes something <laughs> really well and not all of it translates into personal love. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the exact opposite of what I've been saying about the movie. Like, it's like, I love it more than it's better. <laughs> like when mm, I don't know how yeah. to conjugate that properly, but no, right. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that's where we're where yeah, we're meeting yeah. in the middle. <laughs> yeah, man, getting old is incredibly scary. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I was gonna launch into the Jesse Buckley poem from "I'm Thinking of Ending Things," but I won't. <laughs> whether the dog bites your toes or not, whether you no, I got it. Nailed it. I don't want to get old. I, I do not either. Just peel my skin off. <laughs> peel my How does that solve getting old? It's the, it'd be a spoiler if I told you what it's a reference to. All right. <laughs> you can just bleep this oh, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Touche, Steven. Touche. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our review of The Father. So I <laughs> hope you all enjoyed that. And uh, we'll see you next week with a review of <laughs> Godzilla vs. Kong, finally. <laughs> Can't wait. Talking about things we're going to have to forget. <laughs> wait, Tokyo? They don't even speak English over there. <laughs>